Welcome to the Bare Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based, biblical advice for your marriage and sex life. And I am joined today by my husband, Keith. Hey, everybody. Who is my co-author. Yay! Yay! For The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, which launches March 15th, along with The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, the new and expanded and revised one, um, which also launches March 15th. And I know I've been saying this for weeks, but this time I really mean it. Our launch team has actually started. (laughs) (laughs) Took us a while to get our act together, but we are up and running. We had our first Facebook Live Tuesday night. It was so much fun. Um, We've got a ton of people in there. It's a great community and you can join. All you need to do is pre-order one or both of the books and send in your receipt and you can get access to um, an e-copy of the book right away and mm-hmm. our amazing evangelical sex report card. So pick up the good guy's guide or the good girl's guide to send so, us your receipt. So the sex report card is not a report card for your cup, for you as a couple. No, it's just so how what, evangelicals how are, are doing, doing in, the in the bedroom. How are we doing in the church overall? With, yes. You know, yeah. And so you, the link to how you can do that is in the show notes for this, because we would love to have you join us on the launch team. Speaking of evangelical sex report cards, mm-hmm. if you want to get a better report card, if you want to do better, <laughs> then we want to do a big shout out to our sponsor, the Intimately Us app, which I would give an A to if we're talking yeah. about report cards, because this is such a fun app. Honestly, I, I don't like being a sponsor for, or having a sponsor that I don't really believe in. So I'm really picky about who I choose. And this is an app. I've reviewed it. I think it's awesome. If I were to create an app, this is what I would create. Because what it does is it helps you learn how to work with your bodies and with your preferences to have a lot of fun in bed and to just to be more adventurous, to spice things up, but not in a weird way. It, mm-hmm. it helps you learn how to talk about this stuff, learn how to discover what you actually like. There's all kinds of amazing games. It suggests stuff to you and you get to choose like yes, no, or maybe, <laughs> you know? And if you say no to something, then your spouse knows, okay, you know what? I'm not gonna ask about that. Like, yeah. let's find let's find stuff that we both say yes to, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And let's work with, with what we like and let's discover new things. There's so many great games. I have, I had a woman come on the blog just this week that she downloaded um, the app after my recommendation a while ago and she says and now whenever we find that we're just getting into a rut we pull it out and we just have so much more fun that night so check it out you can download the free version right now the intimately us app there is a link in the show notes but you can also just go to google play or the app store on apple and and you can find the intimately us app there's also a a paid version and it is so much fun and you will not regret it you will say i am your best friend for life once you try it (laughs) (laughs) all right we have brought rebecca onto the podcast hi and you have some thoughts Yeah. That you've had for a couple of weeks. You haven't had a chance to share them. So just for our our listeners, our viewers, however you're watching, listening to this, um, three weeks ago on the podcast, Connor, your husband, Mm -hmm. came on and he had dissected a podcast that Emerson Egrich, author of Love and Respect, had done where he was answering a letter from a woman who was crying in the shower before sex. Yeah. And that was a very disturbing letter on many fronts the the worst one of course was the fact that he totally missed the very obvious signs of marital rape and coercion which Mm -hmm. were in that letter and so last week we had the woman on who wrote the letter and we listened to her story she's doing really well now thank thank goodness she is divorced from the man and she's she and her kids are safe so that's 
that's I'm very grateful for that. But there was another element to the story <laughs> that wasn't as much about abuse as it was about just sort of incredulity, to put it nicely. Yeah. There was my spitting tea incident. <laughs> yes. Where Connor explained that in that podcast, Emerson Egbert said that you can't tell really if a woman is turned on. Um, yeah. At which point I, I, I spit my tea. And that's what you wanted to respond to, but we didn't have a chance yet. I mean, it's just, I mean, the, the fact that he would actually go in public and he would actually say that is so embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> like that was just my response over and over again. Like when, when, when Connor originally told me and played me the clip and when I was talking to mom about it afterwards, I was just like, it's just so embarrassing. And it's all I could say is like, <laughs> he actually said that's so embarrassing. Like, oh my gosh, that's embarrassing. Yeah. Like I, that is embarrassing. Like you're embarrassing on his behalf. You're embarrassed yeah. on his behalf when you're listening to this yeah, thing. Yeah, like there, this man has the audacity to go on his podcast and he actually says, yeah, there's not really any point in trying to turn a woman on. Just, you know, vacuum a bit and then she'll yeah. like it. That's it, Oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. But like any here's the thing. Any man who has encountered an aroused woman mm -hmm. during sex <laughs> would have information <laughs> that would show him why it's not that subtle. <laughs> like any man who has experience yes. with women yes. who have been aroused mm -hmm. or, or who's able to arouse a woman mm -hmm. might not say, just don't even bother trying and maybe vacuum instead. Yeah, it's just weird. It's just weird and it's embarrassing. Like, like when I was listening to it, what I said, what I said to you, I think when we were chatting about it later was it, it's kind of like if you were getting cleaning advice, like you, you were in a group of like, you know, moms groups always talk about, okay, what's your cleaning schedule? How to keep things clean? How do you keep things organized? And one woman said, oh my goodness, the worst part of cleaning the bathroom is getting all the poop out of the shower drain. Mm. We would all be like... <laughs> Oh, I said what? <laughs> Hold up. Let's back that let's, up. Let's click rewind. <laughs> let's revisit this. We're not moving past this part of the conversation. I'm sorry, Marcy. What did you say? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. That is not my experience. I have cleaned many a shower and I have never had to scoop poop out of a drain. And so, and, and similarly, when a guy is giving advice on sex mm -hmm. and says, there's not really a, like an easy way to tell if a woman's turned on, like, or there's no point in trying to turn a woman on because it doesn't really work. We should be like, hold up. <laughs> You're giving sex advice. Are you pooping in the shower? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what we need to ask. Yeah. Right? Because, like, my, my thing is, and we'll talk about this later in the podcast. You guys will, you guys will touch on this later. Uh -huh. But, like, if a woman is going to have an orgasm during sex. Mm -hmm. You have to be aroused first. Yes. You know, you don't just, bam, orgasm out of nowhere. Okay? Right. Like, it just doesn't really happen. <laughs> there is a physiological, you know, response cycle that happens. Anyway, mm -hmm. you guys will talk about it later in the podcast. But, like, that means that if you're not used to arousal, mm -hmm. if you don't know the signs of arousal, if you say there's no point in even trying to arouse a woman because mm -hmm. it just doesn't really work. Like, if you, if like, that's the thing is, like, like, even, like, didn't he say, like, 
it's not worth trying to do sexy things to turn on a woman because like mm-hmm. it doesn't work. I'm like, okay, like there but, yeah, are the, the best way to turn your woman, your wife, on sexually is to have nothing to do with her sexually. Yeah, like there like, are something, something like yes. that. Yeah. All I'm gonna say is there are many men for whom that is not the case. Yes, there are many husbands out there who for whom. The best way to turn on their wife sexually is not to do nothing to them sexually. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. If the best way to turn on a woman in your experience is to not do anything sexually to mm-hmm. try to turn her on, that leads one to infer mm-hmm. certain conclusions Yes. about the advice. Yeah, and, and this is, okay, and, 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 and we want to say... Very clearly, we do not actually know anything. No, we know nothing. We know nothing about in anyone in particular. Anyone in particular. The only thing we know is what is in books and what people say. Yeah. And this is concerning. And we think, you know, I just want to say too, like if you're, if you think the only way to turn a woman on is is not to, do to nothing. try, yeah. then you might need our orgasm course. Yes. Mm-hmm. If and you so- are someone. <laughs> If you are someone who doesn't understand well, what arousal looks like in a woman, mm-hmm. if you don't know how to turn on a woman. Or if you're a way. woman who doesn't understand because, yes, what yeah. arousal looks like. Because here's the deal. In the Christian church, we've basically been teaching that sex is for men and the role of a woman is to say yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is what we've been teaching. Mm-hmm. So female arousal, what the arousal response cycle looks like, all that stuff. That's just really not important. Yeah. That's not the point. The and point that, is he needs it. She's got to give it to him. Yeah. And that is just a horribly terrible view of sex. And it's time for something much better, much richer, much more yeah. what God intended. Yeah. yeah. And so, hey, for those of you who are having trouble with the arousal thing. Yeah, no shame. No thing. No shame. We're going to put the orgasm course on for 20% off. Just use the coupon code arousal. Yes. <laughs> as you are purchasing it um, from now until Valentine's Day. Yep. So there you go. Orgasm course, 20% off. Just use the coupon code arousal. Yeah. Because and... I do want to say, there is nothing embarrassing about not knowing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we all have areas that we don't know. I know absolutely nothing mm-hmm. about cars, okay? And mm-hmm. I drive a car every day. Yes. Okay, and I know, like, literally nothing in that yeah. area, okay? Well, and this is the thing is no, nobody knows everything but everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, knowledge with humility mm-hmm. is really great. Yes. Mm-hmm. But knowledge in the absence of humility can get you into a lot of trouble because yeah. you don't know how much you don't know. Yes. yes. And my wonderful husband here pointed out that there is actually a term for this. And yeah. in our new research of the week, it's not actually new. This was first talked about in 1999, but I pulled up a couple of newer studies about it. But there is something. Why don't you explain it since well, you told it, yeah, me about it? Yeah, it's called it. the Dunning-Kruger effect. Right? Okay. And, and uh, well, I mean, it's actually not new because it goes back to Socrates. Because, I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. Socrates said... That wisdom is to know that you know nothing. Yeah, right. So that humility and knowledge is so key. And so what the Dunning-Kruger effect basically says is that, you know, as you learn something, your confidence increases. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you can know just a little bit and feel very confident about Mm -hmm. what you know. And you get to this point where you have quite a bit of confidence in your knowledge, but your knowledge really isn't quite as high as you think it is mm-hmm, yeah. and they call that the peak of mount stupid <laughs> <laughs> and then what happens immediately after that is you learn enough to realize oh my goodness i don't know nearly mm-hmm. as much as i thought i knew about this mm-hmm. you realize all the things you've been saying that were 
now that you know more, like, oh my gosh, that was so naive. Mm -hmm. That was such a simplistic view of the situation. That was so black and white and it's actually much more nuanced. And and you you have this plummet in your confidence. Mm -hmm. Your knowledge level has actually increased, but your confidence level plummets. Okay. And they call that the valley of despair. Okay, so you go from the peak of Mount Stupid to the valley valley of despair. despair. And and this is what happens to everybody who goes through medical school. (laughs) 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 You you get into medicine, you know, because you've been always been good in school, you've always been top of your class, you do great, and Mm -hmm. you get into medicine, and there is so much to know that you realize all my life I've been told I'm smart, but I'm really, really dumb. <laughs> yeah, you've, been, you've been top. You were top in elementary school. You were top yeah. in high yeah. school. You were top in university. And that is, and then you get yeah. with all of the people who are at the top, and you realize, and they're actually like you know really giving you a lot of work to do. Well, yeah, and then you realize there's so much we don't know. And yeah. So that's what most of medical school is. It's a journey through the, the valley, valley of despair. despair. Right. But but as you get through the valley of despair, your knowledge has continued to increase, and then you start to gain more confidence again. But now it's a confidence that's based upon a foundation of real knowledge. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and the, the people who are the best at what they do are always lifelong learners. They mm-hmm. want to learn more. They want to improve. And the big thing, the big difference to them is they are always humble enough to listen to other people's opinions so mm-hmm. they can yeah. learn more. Yeah. So, so, for instance, they might write a book and then 10 years later, <laughs> <laughs> even though the book is still selling well and even though they still like it, they might say it's not my best. Mm-hmm. And they might say maybe or, I need to completely rewrite it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and you're clearly talking about the Good Girl's Guide, which is now coming out in a yes, revamped Good Girl's Guide version. to Great Sex. Yeah. Yes, I did well, it. And I and I I do want to say that with the Dunning Kruger effect, you know, let's take this into 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 perspective. Okay, we have a man here who's like our best-selling Christian author. Well, Gary Chapman's higher, but like of Thank five you. Yes. love languages was always yeah. high, so he's second yeah. best. But best, but but most done, um, most used. Marriage curriculum. Mar- yeah, as yeah, far as yeah. we can tell, as yeah. Far, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is most used marriage, marriage curriculum. And what he has said about sex is that it doesn't take very long. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mention women's pleasure at all in his Not book. once. Not once. Yeah. And then he says men want it, women don't. Yes. Mm-hmm. If your husband is typical, he, he has, has a need, need you don't, don't have. have. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not have less of, don't have. Yeah. And then he has this podcast where he says, you know, if you want to get your wife turned on, I mean, just don't even try. And you can't really tell if it was turned on. So here we have a man who has, you know, written all this stuff. And when it comes to understanding about sex, the information that he is giving us in these books mm-hmm. would not get us anywhere past the peak of Mount Stupid. <laughs> okay, like, like there is literally no evidence mm-hmm. of any actual knowledge of female sexuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's lots of knowledge of male sexual entitlement in the yeah. books. Yeah, but it, there's not even knowledge of, of intimacy because what he says about sex is that men have a need for physical release. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he uses the word physical release through sexual intimacy. Yeah. yeah. But how is it intimate if it's about his release well, and it's her not. experience has nothing to do with it. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's like, it's like that you're using that word. It doesn't mean it doesn't. Yeah. You keep using that word. I do not even think. Well, and, I'm, and, and this, and this, I'm going to be honest when I, when I read this kind of stuff and this is our best selling like marriage resource that has like the whole guide and everything. The reason I say Emerson is best selling because Gary Chapman also sells in the secular market and love respect doesn't. Right. That's okay. why, yep. that's why I consider that Emerson Eggers the top Christian one. Cause mm-hmm. like everyone mm-hmm. has five love languages. Right. Christian yeah, or not. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. true. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and so you have like our, our, in essence, our best seller 
mm-hmm. who was written by someone who has clearly not shown us any evidence that he actually understands female sexuality. We have yeah. lots of evidence that we're on the peak of Mount Stupid and the Dunning-Kruger effect because if he actually knew how much he didn't know, he would feel incredibly ashamed and yeah. embarrassed yeah. of what he has said. I'm sorry. Again, it's embarrassing, guys. I know. And, 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 and like Connor pointed out a couple times, it actually sounded like his son was trying to correct him. Yeah, like Jonathan's in there being like, oh, dad. Oh, yeah, because he was very gendered about things that are not gender-based. Well, and yeah. then the thing, and then about the arousal, like Jonathan was like, well, there, there are signs of arousal. He's like, yeah, they're real subtle. And I'm like, okay, like, in these kinds of religious dynamics where it's all about power for the man and submission for the woman. I I really do have to wonder if a lot of the goal and a lot of the aphrodisiac is the fact that she doesn't want it, but she does it anyway. That is a very, very popular fantasy Mm -hmm. among a lot Mm -hmm. of pornography. You know, rape porn is a thing. I'm sorry. The idea of power and domination is a really popular sexual fetish. Mm -hmm. And I really am starting to believe more and more and more that this hyper-fundamentalist, legalistic kind of view of like how men have to have the power and women have to have to submit to it and he needs sex and so it's your duty to fulfill it and he needs to release into you. He needs to conquest you. He needs to all these different things. And conquest is actually one of the Yeah, the that's, what, that's why I was using his chairs. Chairs, like in, in Emerson's Egrich's acronym for, for how men yeah. spell respect. He's not talking about conquest of his wife though. He's talking no. about conquest. No, but Doug Wilson uses the word conquest. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But I just wanted to be clear that... Egerich does not refer mm-hmm. to conquest in a sexual sense in his book. However, that concept is in some of these fundamentalist yes, groups. Yes, exactly. Well, and, and, and not only that, what I meant is the idea of a man needing respect includes conquest. Yeah. That's what I was saying as well. Like, the yeah. whole point yeah. is that, Even like... Even it's not sexual, that's the whole yeah. point. Yeah, yeah it's, it's this whole idea. We have created, in essence, like, this desire for sex not to be about vulnerability for the man but for him to use a woman mm-hmm. and that is evil yeah, that's, well that's definitely pornographic it's, it's, it is i, I don't and know I, if i did i ever talk about this in the podcast or was it just in in on the blog i will put a link to it in in the podcast post that goes along with this but there was a men's conference like one of those yeah how do you describe it incel type like um like men's rights like it was it was the kind of place that has all the men you don't want to marry your daughter. Yeah. So it was all about <laughs> that. And there was a guy teaching how to get your wife to enter into a BDSM relationship. If she doesn't want if to. If she doesn't want to. Yeah. And his message was get her to read Love and Respect. If she's Christian. Yeah. Yeah. If because, she's a Christian. Because then you can pressure her into this. Now, Emerson Egrich does not no. endorse that, that at all. But other people have said that his book is a wonderful gateway yeah. into this yeah. sexual and so if that power thing that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and so if that truly isn't your goal, if your goal is truly intimacy and an actual good knowing relationship, then that should horrify you and you should repeal your uh, like mm-hmm. your works and you should try to figure out what went wrong. Yeah, but instead, we're doubling down. Like we have the Dunning-Kruger effect. Like you said, the best, the best, uh, you know, most knowledgeable people are lifelong learners. I'm sorry, but love and respect has not changed in 20 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there has been so much research co- that has come out about how power dynamics in marriage doesn't work. Having mm-hmm. one yeah. person in charge does not work. It leads to higher divorce rates. It leads to all sorts of, even by research to Emerson Egrich himself, 
actually yeah, um, quotes. Yeah, he, yeah, even researchers who are on his own radar are coming out with this research that's, you know, not even really... It's not one of really, eh, it's nuanced. Like, no, no, we, we've kind of shown it. Like, yeah. in, in the research, yeah. over and over and over again, if you have a power dynamic in a marriage, it's much more likely to end up in divorce. It's much less likely to be happy, and you're more likely to have a lot of road bumps around, along yeah. the way. So we have this, this person who... In my opinion, when you look at all of his information and his books and this podcast where he says horribly embarrassing things that, mm-hmm. gosh, it just, like, I, I, have, I have empathetic cringe mm-hmm. yes. when I listen to it. It's just bad. Yeah. Um, and, and how on earth have we let him be like one of the most successful people in the space? Are we all that dumb? Like that, that and I'm sorry, that yeah. definitely is what no, I'm asking. I, and I, wouldn't that that I, think, I think some of it is confidence because he comes forward with a lot of confidence. Yeah. Like one of the ones that I've kind of peeled apart in a few things too, it's not about the sex side of things, is the statement which he says boldly is that uh, to set up a marriage with two people, two equals at the head, mm-hmm. uh, is to set it up for failure. That is why marriages are divorcing left and right everywhere. He says that in his book. It's a very yeah. bold claim. It's very confident. And it is shouted very loudly from the peak of Mount Stupid. Yep. Because if you know any knowledge whatsoever, you know that's not the case. Yep. It's been scientifically shown to not be true. Now, if you want to make the case that the man needs to be in charge and the woman needs to be submitting, that's fine. But you mm-hmm. can't make it from the fact that that's why women, why divorces are happening all the time. Mm-hmm. Because the studies show exactly the opposite of what you're saying. Yep. So don't say something is true based on something that isn't true. That's called a lie. Well, and, and this is the, the issue is, sorry, let me just finish yeah. this, is the secret to getting past the peak of Mount Stupid is being open to other viewpoints. Yes. And the problem is, the reason that things haven't changed is because they think this is God's unchangeable truth. Mm-hmm. And so therefore they are not willing to listen to evidence, to actual real data. That's why you did a 20,000 mm-hmm. woman survey. We've mm-hmm. now done a 3,000 men survey mm-hmm. for the Good Guys Guide as well too. Like over 20,000 people have been surveyed and we've looked at what the findings were. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you said, oh my gosh, some of the things that I said in my previous book, I need to change based on the new information we have. This is called climbing out of the valley of despair. (laughs) We we didn't know as much as we thought we knew. Oh my gosh, what we do? Well, let's learn. Let's Mm -hmm. do better in the future. And that's what the Christian church needs to be doing. And the problem is, it's all fine and good to say, don't attack these these other people, but the problem is they keep saying the same stuff. Yeah. And the louder they shout it, the more it, it stays in the water, and we need to stop it. We can't keep saying things that aren't true. We, mm-hmm. If people keep saying things that aren't true, we need to say, stop saying things that aren't true. Okay, Rebecca had to run out to feed the baby, so <laughs> we're, we're tying back in here. <laughs> um, but I wanted to read a couple of excerpts from some of the articles that I picked up on the Dunning-Kruger oh, effect cool. after cool. you told me about it. So I, I did research this, oh, wow. and I, I found some, some articles. Here's a description of it, okay? okay. The Dunning-Kruger effect was first discovered and written about in 1999 by researchers David Dunning and Justin Kruger at Cornell. The researchers spotted how much people overestimated their own abilities in daily life. Think of the guy in class who keeps raising his hand to relay his useless ideas and coined the term dual burden. Dual burden was used to describe that these people suffer from two things, ignorance 
and ignorance of their own ignorance. <laughs> the researchers tested random participants on tests of humor, grammar, and logical reasoning. They found that people who ranked in the bottom 25% of any of these test scores tended to predict themselves to be at the top of the pack. When they scored in the 12th percentile, they estimated themselves to be in the 62nd. On the flip side, people in the top 25% predicted their scores to be slightly lower than they actually were. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> the secret of wisdom is to know that you know nothing. Exactly. <laughs> they they actually quoted that too. Oh yeah. Yeah, they did. They had a bunch of quotes. Um, and then here's uh, this is this is from an abstract from another article okay. about it. This is a little bit more dense. So okay. So this is good. This is going to sound like this uh, is going to sound a little bit more ease. academic. Yes, but it's a similar idea. As empirical evidence of meta ignorance, I okay, describe. Well, well, okay, describe what meta ignorance. Meta ignorance. Meta, <laughs> meta in, is anything that refers to itself. So meta-ignorance means ignorance of your ignorance. Right, exactly. Okay. So as empirical evidence of meta-ignorance, <laughs> I describe the Dunning-Kruger effect in which poor performers in many social and intellectual domains seem largely unaware of just how deficient their expertise is. Their deficits leave them with a double burden. So that's what the other ones mm -hmm. were talking about too. Mm -hmm. Not only does their incomplete and misguided knowledge lead them to make mistakes, but those exact same deficits also prevent them from recognizing when they are making mistakes and other people choosing more wisely. And then they just, they say how they discuss the theoretical controversies over the interpretation of this effect and describe how the self-evaluation errors of poor and top performers differ. Um, and then they ask the question, if self-perceptions of competence so often vary from the truth, what cues are people using to determine whether their conclusions are sound or faulty? And that's really what I wanted to talk about. Mm. Because another aspect of the Dunning-Kruger effect often is that these, these better performers, even though you do have more confidence as you go up, you never have as much confidence as the people who... Per, per unit of knowledge. Per unit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also the other issue is that some of the really good performers often think this stuff is a lot easier than it actually is. And so you can become quite judgmental of other people because mm. you're so confident of yeah. your own stuff that you don't understand how difficult this is to, yeah. That, yeah. that's sort of a separate effect. But I, I yeah. thought that was interesting and yeah. thought I better might want to think about that myself sometimes. Anyway, um, <laughs> but... But I think that, that this is the real question, is what cues are we using yeah. to judge how much we know stuff? And what I'm wondering is how much of our church evangelical culture makes it so that these men at the top, especially pastors in some situations, never get challenged on anything. Mm. You know, because we so value power that no one ever says, well, that, and that's the thing is, what is the cue that we're on the right track? It's not yeah. that the evidence is showing us that we're right. Mm -hmm. The cue that we're on the right track is we're saying what everyone else is saying. Yes. Um, and so, so we're all in the same group. We're all saying the same things and we all mm -hmm. agree. So therefore it must be true. Yeah. And this is, and this is what we found, right? When we were, when we did our big surveys is that there are certain teachings that are harmful. Yeah. But we found that those teachings are in the vast majority of books. Mm-hmm. And they all repeat themselves. It's sort of like that 72-hour rule that James Dobson made up yeah. in 1977, and it gets repeated in all of these books, but it's not based on anything. Yeah, yeah. Because, and it's just like Emerson, which is this, with this whole, to set, up a, uh, to set up a marriage with two equals at the head mm -hmm. is going to cause divorce. Yeah. Like, that's, we know that's true, so he can go ahead and say it. Yeah. But, but there's no evidence to it. 
Yeah, right? there's no evidence. It, and it, it's 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 but we but we just we know what the answer is. So however we get there doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not right. I mean, mm-hmm. we do need to evaluate what are we actually doing. So for instance, your survey you're talking about, you didn't ask, do you think this book harmed you? No. What you did was you said, do you believe these things? And then in separate questions, you asked, how happy are you in your marriage? Yeah. And what you found is people who believe these things tended to score lower on mm-hmm. the questions of marital happiness. Yeah. And of course, we ask those questions to men too. And you can get our evangelical sex report card. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So if you pre-order the books right now, you can see some of our early results from mm-hmm. the men's survey, including some stuff that didn't even get into the book. So some bonus content. Um, so there is a link on how to send us your pre-order receipts and you can get our pre-order bonus, our evangelical sex report card, and an invite to our launch team so that you get access to the Good Guys Guide to Great Sex or the new and revamped Good Girls Guide right now. So again, I just check out that link. But I, I do think that this is this is a really important point is that people often rise to the top with very little knowledge. And in the church, we don't question it. Mm-hmm. And then you'll often find that a lot of these people give the same message for 20 years, and it doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Um, like Emerson Egerich in Love and Respect said that 85% of men stonewall when the actual we've talked about this before, the actual thing that John Gottman found is that 85% of stonewallers are male. Mm-hmm. Again, two different things. 95% of murderers are male. That doesn't mean 95% of men are murderers. Okay, like <laughs> very, yeah. very different things, right? Um, and I don't know if 95% of murderers are male. I'm making what? that yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> but, but like it's very different things. But you know, he said that in his book. But he also said it in a sermon at Houston First Baptist in 2019. Mm-hmm. So did nobody ever tell him in that 15 years mm-hmm. that that's wrong? That statistic is wrong. Yeah. This is what I well, find so this, incredulous. This is, this is the thing that Christians do, is they hide behind this idea that it's God's eternal truth. Yeah. So if we challenge them, you are challenging God's eternal truth with the, the whims of modern culture. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the defense they use. And that's the, the, the insult that people hurl at you. Mm-hmm. You're kowtowing to feminist culture. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But no, we're saying this is what the data show. This is what the actual evidence shows. So there have always been different viewpoints on these issues in the Christian church. There's always been debate about what the right, you know, how you manage your marriage, how you manage your child, your family, all these things. We've been, there's many different viewpoints on that. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to make a theological argument. We're just saying that people who are making the theological argument that only my way of interpreting the male-female dynamic and only my way of interpreting marriage is the right way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a pretty big claim. What evidence do you have to back that up? Well, in fact, all the evidence shows that you're teaching something that's harmful to people and hurts people. So maybe we should listen to some of those other voices in the church that are preaching other ways that men and women should interact because maybe they're healthier. Okay, we brought Becca back Hello. for a minute. I this have is, finished feeding the baby. This is one of those weird things. Like, we're, we're trying to film at night when everyone's home, and but then there's baby, and this is she's fussy this time, and yeah. so it's hard to get all this done. But, okay, so Becca, here's, what we, here's what we just finished talking about. Yes. Okay, so we talked about the Dunning-Kruger effect, mm-hmm. but it seems to me that the big thing, and I really wanted your take on this, yes. okay? It seems to me, <laughs> when you look at what's really being misunderstood like where the peak of mount stupid what what it's essentially about right mm-hmm. now is about the sexual response cycle oh yeah and dad and i we're, your dad and i keith and i are going to um talk more about this in a minute and we'll do some education on it but 
It almost seems like he thinks there's an element to the sexual response cycle that isn't actually part of it. Because as we're going to explain in a minute, you know, our bodies go through different physiological changes moving up towards orgasm. Yep. You know, desire, excitement, arousal, plateau, orgasm, resolution. So yeah. that's kind of sexual response cycle. Like I said, I'll, we'll, we'll expand on that more in a minute. But what he was talking about, like vacuuming, doesn't fit on there. No. And it almost sounds like what he's describing and equating with arousal is willingness to have sex or at least a willingness to not actively say no to sex. Yes. That's what I think when I read or when I read stuff like what Emerson Eggers has written in Love and Respect or when I listen to things like what he said on that podcast is that when they talk about how women like, you know, want sex or when they say they are aroused, but then they're describing things that definitely aren't arousal. It definitely does sound like... You know, there's this fundamental understanding, like not understanding, but a false belief that women aren't sexual. Mm -hmm. And so then the only sign of sexuality that a woman can have is that she no longer says no. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so because it, it, he says, you know, again, he says, if your husband's typically has a need you don't have, says right. men need physical release, like women need emotional release. And you should minister to him sexually as unto Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so, but the thing is that if your belief is that women are inherently asexual beings, like they don't have mm -hmm. a felt need for sex, right? Mm -hmm. it, that all women are like this, including your wife, then, yeah, the only sign of sexual arousal you'd be looking for is simply, oh, she's just going to let me do stuff to her, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's yeah. like, that's it. And I remember when I was in university, there was, you know, all the very typical, you know, no means no, um, you know, posters everywhere about consent. Mm -hmm. But there was another one that was around quite a bit is, I guess is not yes. I guess mm. is not yes. Okay. So so saying I guess, like do you like, want to have sex? Well, I, I guess, guess is not yes. Okay. Consent is an enthusiastic yes. That's what it would say, you know? Like mm -hmm. I guess is no. Right. I guess is not yes. Mm -hmm. Right? And so this is what I, I really think we need to understand more is if your entire view of sexuality is I'm going to curry enough favor that she feels so guilty about saying no that she's going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not an enthusiastic yes. Yeah, that wouldn't even count as consent at in, the University of Ottawa. At the University of Ottawa. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the equivalent of, well, I spent $200 on this dinner, so aren't you going to put out? That mm -hmm. is the Christian equivalent. I vacuumed. I vacuumed and yeah. did the dishes, and I put the kids to bed without being asked. Mm -hmm. So aren't you going to put out now? It's mm -hmm. the equivalent. And I'm not saying that's what Emerson Eggers in particular does. That's not what I'm saying at all. But that's what his books promote that kind of thinking whether it's true for every person who reads the books of course not mm -hmm. but it promotes the kind of thinking that you as a husband can in essence buy sex from your wife by well, doing yeah, the right thing because the, the, i guess and 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 i guess where where i really see this is he was equating if you want to get her turned on don't try to get her turned on so don't do the sexy things yeah. do the vacuuming and that's how to get it turned on but if we okay if we interpret arousal as actually having physiological changes so you know <laughs> lubrication areolas expanded um breathing ex like uh, heart rate elevated breathing rate well elevated. then the woman could never watch an infomercial for people yes. <laughs> like i mean an infomercial would Ooh, be imagine what sham wows do to her like I mean, that's exactly <laughs> it like oh yeah they absorb a lot like, <laughs> like <laughs> i mean it's just it's, and i know we're laughing i know we're laughing but sometimes 
sometimes you need to laugh or else you're just going to cry. Well, because it's just so, it's actually terrible what mm-hmm. these books are promoting and what this kind of thinking is doing. Because what it is doing, it is, it is erasing women. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to break it to all the guys who are promoting these books, who love this stuff, who are frankly at the peak of Mount Stupid when it comes yes. to women's sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry, but women are sexual. Mm-hmm. You know, and if your wife used to be sexual and isn't anymore, something happened. And yeah. it wasn't just, well, she's a woman, and women be women, and they tease you with sex. They'll, they'll act like they like sex, and maybe for the first two years they'll have sex, and then, oh, it'll just be like pulling teeth because silly women don't understand how important this is. You know, your wife was sexual and something got in the way of it. Or else, or else she never experienced real arousal. You well, never figured that's it out. What I, but that gets in the yeah. way of it. She yeah. had desire at one point. Yeah, before and then you it got was married, she out. was all over or, or, or even for the first year when she was still in the lovey-dovey phase and she realized, oh, this man does no housework and he doesn't know what the clitoris is. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. There is a pattern that yeah. we see over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it is this kind of mentality that Egrich is promoting that, well, if you want her to have sex with you, don't even try to make her turned on, you know, mm-hmm. just do the vacuuming. Because there are a lot of marriages out there where Christian husbands are just awesome lovers to their wives. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of, but they're not saying things like, I have a need you don't have. And they're definitely not saying things like, don't even try to get her turned on. It's not worth it. It's yeah. not going to happen. So, yeah. so listen to people who actually... Seem to know what they're talking about. <laughs> this is exactly it. Is that we have to listen when people tell us who they are. Yeah. You know, and I've been saying this for years now. Mm-hmm. These guys have told us who they are. Like, I know. And this is, and how did this get to be so popular? And this, again, is where you need to laugh or you're going to cry. And yeah. I just, I did, I, I spent a minute today looking up some tax forms. Yeah. And I have some figures for you that are going to make you want to cry. Okay. Okay. So, love and respect. Yeah. has sold over 2 million copies. At least 2 million, because it's had 2 million yeah. on the cover. So For a while, yeah. For a while. So at average royalty rates, mm-hmm. that means that means that he has made at least $176,500 a year in royalties since it was published. Since it was published. So every year since it was published. Yeah. $176,000. And that does not include speaking fees, DVD sales, workbook sales, video sales, conference sales, or even selling books himself at conferences. Mm-hmm. Unless he's including those 2 million and what he's selling at conferences. Yeah, but mm-hmm. but he would have made more from that yeah. anyway, so it wouldn't be included in the hundred seventy six thousand. Yeah, it would be extra. It would be extra. That. Yeah, and he has both a corporation and a nonprofit, mm-hmm. so you can make donations to his nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Okay, his nonprofit. This is what it generates. I checked the nine ninety forms for two thousand nineteen. In two thousand nineteen, his nonprofit made one million one hundred ninety thousand dollars, and it paid six hundred twenty nine thousand in salaries. Okay, okay. it. Included in the salaries, Emerson Egrich made 112000 in salary plus another 88000 in non-taxable benefits. Oh, gosh. So $200,000, yeah. all right, of which like almost half was non-taxable. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's only from the non-profit. That's only from the non-profit. So we don't, know, we don't know about his corporation because those, yeah. those forms are not public. Um, his wife, Sarah, made $90,000. Mm-hmm. And his son, Jonathan, made $90,000. Yeah. They made $405,000 selling books and love and respect stuff themselves. Yeah. And that's only in 1999. They are sitting on... 1999? That's only in 2019. They are sitting on $2 million in assets in their nonprofit. And do you know what they were doing during COVID? They were fundraising. They were fundraising. Yeah. They were fundraising. Asking for donations. And just this month, he is doing a nine-hour course online... For mm-hmm. 35 couples, so it's nine hours, 
-hmm. And it's $540 per couple. Per couple. Per couple. So he's going to make $19,000 in February. $60 per hour per couple. Yes. Times 35. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so this is why I cry. Because... Why and again, we have no problem with people making good money. No, gosh, I have no problem with people making. Yeah, money. I will. But, I will but then, but then, he has a charity that you can donate. But to that's him. that's the problem. It's like to be a charity, and and he is making millions of dollars off of this advice. Yeah, he's making millions of dollars giving marriage and sex advice as a man who literally said. It takes such a short. Well, he quoted as a good thing and endorsed a woman's saying it's such a short amount of time makes him so happy yeah like this is this is a guy whose book can be summarized in terms of sex as it's just for him she doesn't want it if you don't have it and he has an affair it's not your fault i mean it's really your fault well well i don't blame her but she's not blameless yeah i don't blame her but she's not blameless and by the way it takes such a short amount of time and then later in a podcast there's really no way to tell if a woman's aroused like yeah i'm taking a short amount of time yeah and and in that same podcast Ignoring the signs of marriage. Yeah. So we have our best-selling author out here in the purely Christian realm, mm-hmm. who is fundamentally, and I, I do think at this point there is evidence that he, whether he has the knowledge himself or not, mm-hmm. he is portraying an understanding of women's sexuality that simply doesn't exist. Right. Like there is no understanding. Right. And so, hey, people, you can do it yourself. Just go online. It took me like two minutes. You yeah. can check out any 990 form for any nonprofit. Yeah. Love and Respect Inc. in Michigan, you can go look at it yourself. Yep. It's all public documents because he is a nonprofit and he takes donations so yep. that he can say this kind of information. And yep. that's why we're crying. Yep. And laughing. Because sometimes well, it's like, you gotta laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> if the guy's going to make a ton of money doing this and make this all public, at least there's a bit of like justice in the fact that there's now public statement of him explaining how there's no way to tell if one is turned on. Yep. And That's so we want to do a little bit of a pivot here and yes. we want to do an educational time. So we're going to actually let you go back to your baby. Okay. So the dad and I can explain the sexual response cycle without you. You're breaking the cardinal rule of our family. You can't say dad and I are going to explain the sexual arousal right. cycle. Right, Greg and Stacy. So that, so that <laughs> we, just don't, just don't use the words like dad and I or mom and I. Like, it's just not okay. It's just fundamentally unacceptable. Okay. Okay, now that offspring has gone. Um, <laughs> they discard her for life. Yes, we've done that so many times. I do want to get into the sexual response cycle, yes. though. Because obviously this is something which we don't understand yeah. in Christian circles. And this is, this is a big part of what we did mm-hmm. in The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Guy's Guide to Great yeah. Sex. Because yeah. it was something new that, we, that I added. I only talked about it briefly in the original version of Good Girl's Guide. And I really think this needs to be understood because this yeah. is huge. Absolutely. So I want to go through the different stages. Because basically what happens, okay, is that our bodies move from a state of like nothing <laughs> to yeah. orgasm in an order. <laughs> yeah. And it takes a different amount of time for men than it does for women. <laughs> well, often, yeah. I mean, yeah. not, not it's, it, it isn't completely on gendered, but, but it does. Like on average, men can reach orgasm yeah. without, like if there's no hindrance and if they're not trying to last long, <laughs> I think most guys can be three and minutes or the, something. The reason I mention it is because often guys don't realize there's different phases because it's all kind of... Yeah, there you go. You know, for them, it's a lot easier. We need to slow down and realize 
the, what these phases are. So it'll help us understand more how our wives work. Yeah. And so I'm going to go through the physiological stages and then we'll talk about the one extra one, which kind of moves around a bit, (laughs) but let's start with excitement. You know, so excitement is when your body is starting to wake up. Okay. Mm -hmm. And turn sexual. So this is, this is when you're moving from like not sexual to sexual. And so your breathing increases. You're you're not there yet though. You're you're on the journey. You're on the journey to get there. So your breathing increases. Guys will get an erection. Women will just start to get lubricated. You Mm -hmm. might, you know, start to feel something and you know you're tingly tingly and your nipples clitoris whatever like this starts to happen this is the time when you're like think about touching and affection so you're starting to kiss deeper you know you're kissing her neck you're running your hands along her arms or the back of her knees or like you're just you're you're it's like it's like tenderness and affection but with a sexy thing going on yeah. <laughs> okay so it's not like it's not like you're petting your dog but it's like <laughs> like like it is a little bit sexy but but you're not totally there yet then you get to arousal and arousal is like i want the sexy stuff yeah your erogenous zones really want to be touched and you know this is why you don't want to go straight for like the clitoris too early because it doesn't feel that good so but but at, in arousal she's like yes now is the right time and then when you get really aroused, you kind of get to plateau because all through arousal, you're getting more and more and more and more and more turned on. And then you get to plateau where you don't actually get much more turned on. It's kind of like the arousal level stays at about the same. And what you need here is just kind of more of the same to get you over the edge. So this is when consistency is good, yeah. you know, so excitement, you're, you're just being affectionate with a little bit of sexy arousal. You're being super sexy. You're, you're teasing you're doing all the fun stuff and then plateau you kind of want consistency to get you to orgasm and then resolution and that's how it works there's also a mental component and this is this is hard to understand a bit called desire and this is this is where like you really want to have sex like you're panting you're really in the mood Mm -hmm. and some people desire comes before excitement so before your body starts to get that turned on before you're getting you know wet before you have an erection all that you're like yes i want sex i'm really interested let's go for it and some people it doesn't kick in until after excitement and a a lot of times it's women that are like that not always but we often differentiate between spontaneous and responsive libidos Mm -hmm. so you know a spontaneous libido you're like yes i want the sex Give me the sex. The sex is a good thing. And you, and like right at the start. And then when you start to kiss, it's because you're definitely aiming there. And some people, it's like you start to kiss and then you start to go like, oh, I'm really in the mood for the sexy stuff. You know, and so the desire comes after and you're more responsive. And I've said this before, but in our studies, what we found is that for women, if you look at how they feel about sex afterwards, as long as they go into sex feeling confident that they're going to get aroused and get to orgasm, it doesn't matter whether they start out mm-hmm. excited or not. As long yeah. as you know you're going to get there, you have the same positive feelings afterwards. So it's not a problem to be a responsive libido. It doesn't mean you're less sexual. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that's the way things work. Okay. So keep that in mind. Because I want to look at two reader questions now. I've got two reader questions where I think the actual issue is the sexual response cycle and and not understanding them. Good. Okay. But they both actually are about husbands not initiating. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I think, I I don't think that's the actual issue. Okay. So hear me out and then we'll see what you think. Sure. Okay. So first one, 
Um, she says, I have never said no to my husband. I was told never to say no. And in 10 years of marriage, I might've said the word once, but for the last three years, my husband has not been initiating. When we have sex, it's because I initiate. Talking to my husband, he says he doesn't initiate because he feels like what's the point of sex if it's not good for me and he's not into duty sex. Mm-hmm. Okay, so keep that one in mind. Okay. And then I want to read the other one and we can kind of tackle them together. Oh, okay. Okay, because sure. they're kind of similar. So okay. here's here's a woman and she says like, it's not like I never say no, but he she, won't initiate. She, she facts, she, in fact, she says she never says no. Right. Right. But he doesn't initiate ever. Right. Right. Then there's this other letter and she says, I have been the only one to initiate sex. Even if I do initiate, he barely touches me or even kisses me. He's only interested in how great I make his body feel. The thing is that even if I get him so excited he's going to burst, he will not make a move. It has to be me if intercourse is going to happen. It's like he's paralyzed to do anything. On the few occasions he even tried to touch me during sex, he just dives right in for the clitoris. No foreplay, no kissing. I have tried to express that I need him to touch me and turn me on, but he says if I have to tell him what to do, it's as if he's being ordered around and that makes him a failure. (laughs) And then she does say later that... Uh, He was exposed to pornography when he was six or seven by an older brother. And she knows that she doesn't look like those girls and she feels body shamed. And it's just really difficult for her because she has a husband who loves her and is very um, against how her ex-husband and her family treated her. But nevertheless, she's still in a sexless marriage and she still Mm. feels like she's being shamed by her husband. Wow. Okay, so you have these two women (laughs) who both like will have sex, but... But their husbands just don't seem to initiate because they think there's something wrong with the wife. And in the first one, like she's saying, he he doesn't want to initiate if I'm not into it. Mm-hmm. Right? And I get that. Yeah, like, that's, that's, that's on the surface sounds like a good thing, right? Right. But the thing is, <laughs> I wonder how much of this is because guys, the, you know, the sexual response cycle, desire, excitement, arousal basically all looks the same for a lot of guys they think that if she is lower down on the response cycle that she actually doesn't want it Mm -hmm. or that she's not into it i I think so yeah for sure i think i think the thing too is is guys sort of think um this sounds very noble i'm not initiating because i don't Mm -hmm. want to put pressure on her Mm -hmm. kind of thing right but the problem with that is that if if you don't initiate because you don't have a pressure on her. But then there's this expectation that she's going to deliver this. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you're putting pressure on her anyway, even though you don't plan to. Yeah. Because, because the issue is what we've done in the church is we've basically said, and I've said this a bunch of times, I think I already said it in this podcast, sex is for men and the job of women is just to say okay. Right. Um, and that is horrible. And we get so off track all the time with mm-hmm. that. I mean, in this case, the, the, the first woman, she says, I was taught never to say no. Well, the thing is this, is if you never say no, how can you possibly really say yes? Yes, exactly. I think we as Christian husbands should be, you know, making sure our wives know that they can say no. I mean, even if you're in the middle of stuff and she and thinks something happens where it's not working for her or something changes in her body or whatever, she should be able to say, you know what, this is not going to work for me tonight. Mm-hmm. And, but the thing is, I think a lot of guys are afraid to initiate because they don't want to get themselves worked up and then have the whole thing shut down. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to learn how to handle that as men. Because I think that that's, that's the reality of, of life. I mean, sex is not always 
smooth sailing, sometimes things go off the rails a little bit and you have to learn to adjust. And that's part of being a mature, mm-hmm. you know, sexual person, right? I remember when I was in medical school, they taught us this. They said that, you know, sexual maturity is when you can engage in things mutually together and then you sort of listen to each other and you react to each other. And if it's just not working for one of you, then you're okay with that. You just do something else and that's fine and you move on. And I was this young, unmarried Christian man steeped in purity culture saying, are you kidding me? I'm waiting for the day to get married. And then it's a constant, you know, fire hose of constant awesome sex all the sex time. Fest, right? yes. Yeah, and, but that's, because that's what we were taught. Mm-hmm. Hold off until marriage because then it will be all awesome all the time. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think it's a much more mature view to say, you know what, sometimes it's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's going to not really work out and it's kind of uncomfortable for her that night or whatever and you need to stop and go watch a movie or yeah. <laughs> or do some or go for a walk or do something else because that's just what reality is like. And I think the problem with what you're saying though for a lot of guys is that that's vulnerable. Yeah. You can get turned down. Yeah. Or or even <laughs> or even you get get disappointed. If you're not turned down, you can be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's tough. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're steeped in a culture that sex is your right. Now that you're married, this is something she owes you, mm-hmm. right? It's hard to break that mentality. And I think that is going to be the key going forward for the next generation of healthy Christian sexual men is because we have been, and I don't, I don't know if they're trying to do this, but I think that most of the teaching has really made us have a sense of entitlement that we need to let go. Like even, for instance, th- there was one thing they were saying there too about how if she tells him what to do, he feels like she's being ordered around, so he doesn't want to do it. Yeah. I mean, like... When you're sexually interacting with another, with your wife, you don't know what she's feeling unless she tells you what she's feeling. If she says it's feeling good, if she says it's not feeling good, like that kind of feedback you need. If you're going to be a good lover, mm-hmm. you need to be able to take the feedback that you're getting. You need to listen to what she's saying, how she's acting, and you mm-hmm. certainly need to be open to her saying, oh, oh, that's not, that's not good right now, yeah. or try this instead. You have to be like that. But the problem is we've set the system where the, he's the boss, he's in charge, don't tell him what to do, and a real man knows what to do. Well, the problem is that then you, you freeze men in the peak of Mount Stupid on the Dunning-Kruger effect. <laughs> if a real man knows what to do, and I shouldn't have to listen to anybody else because I should know what to do because I'm a man, well, then you're never going to get past Mount Stupid because you're never going to learn anything because you're not humble enough to say, oh, I guess I'm not as good at this as I thought I was. Right. And, and a, a humble man can say to his wife, like, what makes you feel good? A lot of women are going to say, I don't know. Because mm-hmm. they haven't been taught either. And that's, that's the beauty of, from the beginning, if you say, this is something that, is, that God has made for both of us. It is meant to be mutual. We're going to learn about each other together, and we're going to make each other feel good, because this is something that both of us are meant mm-hmm. to share. The, the idea that this is something for the man, that the woman needs to give to him, is, in contrast to what I just said, yeah. is such a horrible perversion of what God really meant sex to, sex to be. That's so important because we need to get away from the obligation sex message mm-hmm. for sure. I also do want to point out though, like when, when we're talking about the sexual response cycle and this idea of a man never initiating because he doesn't want to put pressure on his wife is like what you're essentially doing is you're transferring all of the mental load and emotional mm-hmm. labor for sex onto her. So yeah. sex only happens when she initiates. But if she's more of a responsive person, you're not giving her anything to respond to. Yeah. So yeah. it's like she's she has to work herself up. She has to get herself in the mood. And then she has to initiate so that he feels wanted and like she really wants this. But then... There isn't that effort made to like make sure that she wants it. And the simple truth is for a lot of women, 
that excitement phase can take a long time. Yeah. And there's that phase well, that's and even, and even the, the phase that Emerson Egrich brought up, which is a legitimate phase. It's just not part of the sexual response cycle. But like, like even that phase of just growing your emotional connection, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta just talk about your day. You gotta unload about your day. You need to, you need to share each other's thoughts and, and hearts, yeah. etc. I mean, vacuuming, maybe that's not whatever, but like, yeah, that's you know, men- sharing, mental load. Like you've talked yeah, about before. mental load, but then excitement. She may need a lot of time of touching. She may need to have a bath together for 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, she may need to kiss for a while. And that doesn't mean she's broken or that she's not into it. This is what I really want guys to understand. I know you're itching to say yeah, something, yep, yep. but I really I really back. want guys to understand this because a lot of, of guys can feel like if she's not directly in the arousal piece right now, because as we said, for guys, right, excitement, uh, desire, desire arousal, excitement, arousal, they're all kind of, often they're all kind of one the same thing. Then he assumes she doesn't want it. Like if it takes a while to get her engaged, then she's not really into it. She doesn't really want me. She's not really sexual. She's actually turning me down. This is just pity sex. And it's like, no, she may just need a lot of time to unwind and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you need to be, we need to realize that that excitement phase takes a while in a lot of women. And it's, it's this guy in this second story was when he does initiate, he goes right for the clitoris. So yeah. it's like he skips like all these steps and jumps right in. Because he's thinking like that women will be responding to men like men. Yeah. Right? And and this is, you know, we don't talk we talk a lot about how we misuse gender, mm-hmm. right? In mm-hmm. in the church. But, you know, biologically we are physically different men and women. Yeah, this is one way that we actually are. Right. And, and this and yet and yet all the church does is teach about the male version of sexuality. Right. Now, some women do not take very much time in the excitement phase. Like yeah. some women really do get to the arousal yeah. phase. And really some quickly. and some guys are slow slower up. Yeah, too, so, right? the, so but but one thing that we will say is that if she is not aroused yet, if she's like barely excited and you go for the clitoris or you start sticking your fingers up there, it's going to feel like a pap smear. It really is. <laughs> like, do not go for the sexy, sexy stuff until she's in the arousal phase. In the excitement phase, that's when you kiss her, you kiss her neck, you blow in her earlobes, you run your fingers along her arms, along her legs. You know, you're just, you're, you're affectionate and you're building up to the sexy stuff. And then when she starts to get aroused and there are signs that's when you go for like the real erogenous zones Mm -hmm. and it's just i really think that some of the problems with sex and with initiation come because we don't understand the sexual arousal cycle and and men you know you have you have two choices here okay this is the way that women are made so we can either continue to say well that's not the way i'm made and so she's broken Mm -hmm. that is not healthy that is not healthy you can continue to say things like, well, she needs to catch up to me. It's her own issue. Or you can actually embrace true mutuality. You can say, this is something that God's made for both of us. God made you this way. I want to honor the way that you were made. I want to honor what you need. And, and you're going to honor what I need. And we're going to work together and we're going to make something really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's, that that's doable for all men. Mm-hmm. But it requires humility. It requires the teachability. Mm-hmm. It requires the, the ability to put someone ahead of yourself. But guess what? Isn't that the image that Paul gives us? That the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church? Like we give of ourselves. We don't take, we give. 
Yeah, exactly. And hey, you know what? In The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, we go into great detail about all these elements of the sexual response cycle. And we talk about how the important thing is learning how to work with her body, not just how to go through a pre-flight checklist, you know, (laughs) to make sure you've got all the arousal stuff checked off. Take a look at those books because really we we put so much work into helping people understand the sexual response cycle. Because I think when we do that, we can get over a lot of these misunderstandings, which a lot of people seem to have. All right, I'd like to end the podcast with a bit of encouragement. Okay, good. Something encouraging that came in. And next week, I'm hoping that the encouragement will actually be about the Good Girls Guide or the Good Guys Guide. Because yeah, our launch team is up and running. And, and if you're on the launch team, they have access to e-copies right now. Mm-hmm. So all you need to do is send in your pre-order receipt and you can download an e-copy right away and read it. And so we're going to start to have some feedback from people yeah. that hopefully I can share with you next week. We don't have any of that quite yet. So I will read some encouragement from The Great Sex Rescue. Okay. So this is this is a really great um, review that came in on Amazon. And I love her, I love her uh, title for the review. 95% sure the one-star reviews are disgruntled men who don't understand statistics. <laughs> Five stars for me. And she says this, This book is amazing. One, it very clearly explains what the mainstream teachings in the church have harmed women in marriage and why. Two, its survey data is both qualitative and quantitative. It even has very easy to read and understand graphs and charts done at an academic professional level. Three, it's neither liberal nor conservative. This is just data, scientifically backed data that is being praised by the people who have had to counsel traumatized women from broken marriages caused by mainstream evangelical teachings of coercing obligatory duty sex, that men are lustful monsters that need a woman to keep their desires under control, or it's her fault if he stumbles, teachings that hardly ever take into account how her body's pleasure areas and mind actually work. That's the sexual response cycle right there. (laughs) This, this is the real sex revolution the church has been waiting for. Buy this book. You will not regret it. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, people have asked me how the great sex rescue differs from the good girl's guide and the good guy's guide to great sex. And what I would say is that the great sex rescue demolishes all the harmful teachings mm-hmm. and helps us reframe what's healthy. And our goal for the good girl's guide and the good guy's guide is to build something healthy from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So what would it look like if we just simply built something healthy mm-hmm. without all the negative messages? And that's what we're trying to do in these books. Yeah. yeah it was a real joy to write the good guy's guide. I was on a podcast this week uh, earlier and I was uh, saying to them, it's kind of like the book I, w- I wrote to myself, young, dear younger mm-hmm. me. So, but even if you're not a young married couple, I think there's a lot of good things in the, the good guy's guide and the new mm-hmm. and revised good girl's guide to, yes. to help make your marriage even stronger and your sex life even better mm-hmm. um, based on good Christian principles, which are based upon mutuality and, and, and love and, and all the things that are, you know, Christ teaches us about yep. rather than power and, mm-hmm. you know, doing what you're told and knowing who's the boss and all that kind of yes, nonsense that we hear all the time. That doesn't work. So over the next few weeks, as we as we look at the, get ready for the launch on March 15th for those books, we're going to be looking at some of our fun stats and uh, some of the interesting things that we learned surveying men. So we hope you'll join us for that. But as Valentine's Day is coming out, I just want to do another shout out for the Intimately Us app. Believe me, you will be glad you did. <laughs> if you are trying to learn the sexual response cycle, please get it because it will help you move from excitement to arousal and give you all kinds kinds of ideas on how to do that and just make it more fun. In a way um, that's not intimidating or achy Exactly. Or and you will learn what the signs of arousal are. So take a look at the Intimately Us app 
thank you to our sponsors and we will see you again next week. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.